up, if you would, to um, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read from there in a few minutes. Um, and then hang on to that handout. We'll get to that in a few minutes as, as well. Um, so Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to talk tonight about different English translations, why there are so many, what the differences between them are, how we should think about them, um, all of those kind of, kind of questions. Um, who all, what all translations do we have here tonight? I've got, I actually forgot my Bible down in the office, so I've got the Christian Standard Version, the Holman Christian Standard Version, HCSB. Do we have others? I'm assuming we've probably got ESV, NIV. King James, okay, King James, New King James, anything else besides ESV, CSV, oh, CSB, yeah, yeah, Homer Christian and uh, Christian Standard, ESV, NIV, any New American Standard, Mr. Doug, that used to be what was in our pews, okay, good, so we got, we got several different translations here uh, tonight even, that's good, um, and we might... Hopefully we're thinking, because this is the whole question for tonight, why are there so many English translations? Um, there, there are lots of places in the world that, that don't have a translation at all, um, or only have parts of the Bible translated, or, or, or something like that. And as best as I can tell, um, in English, we have more than 250 different English translations. And I'm thinking it's way more than that, maybe even twice as much as that, or, or more. Uh, but but I, I, I think at least at least more than 250 different um, English English translations. Um, last week we talked about what we believe about the Bible, and uh, we said the Bible is our authority. The Bible is is clear; we can understand it. It's understandable through the through the working of the Holy Spirit uh, working in us. Uh, we said the Bible is necessary, uh, not for some things, but it is necessary. It's not necessary to know that God exists. It's not necessary to know. Uh, some of what God's like. God tells us that he has revealed himself in creation, and so we can, we can know that God exists and know some things about him even um, outside of the Bible, but the Bible is necessary for us to know the way of salvation. It's necessary if we're going to know that Jesus sent his son, or, or that God sent his son Jesus to be our savior. Um, it's also necessary for us to know uh, God's will. The Bible itself says that God reveals his will to us in, in it, and we talked about how the, how the Bible is sufficient. So the authority, the clarity, the necessity, and the sufficiency of the Bible last week. And if all of that's true, if the Bible really is our authority, if the Bible really is, um, really is understandable to us, if it is necessary for, for those things, and if it is sufficient for living a Christian life, then it's important that we be able to read it and understand it, right? Um, for, a, for a long history, uh, for, a, for a long part of history, going back uh, several hundred years, there was a time where most people in the church did not have access to the Bible, could not read the Bible, right? In, in the beginning, um, at, the, at the first century, when after Jesus was uh, died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, the Bible was written, or the New Testament was written mostly in Greek, right? And so you had Greek, Greek Bibles, and, and people could read Greek, um, and so they could, they could read it for themselves and, and understand it. And then um, at, at a certain point, uh, that the Greek Bible was translated into Latin, and Latin was, uh, was a major language in the world. It was translated, translated in some other languages as well, but Latin was a major, major language in the world once the Roman Empire kind of came to power. And for many, many, many years, um, 
it was illegal to translate the Bible out of Latin in, in so many parts of the world, in um, uh, virtually the whole world. It was illegal to translate the Bible into any language other than Latin. And, and most people in the, in the church didn't speak Latin, right? Um, Latin was like, a, like an academic language that, that you would learn or that you would use in, in schools. Latin was the language that the priests in the Catholic Church used. Um, but the, as the Roman Empire kind of conquered different areas, the people that lived in those areas continued speaking their native languages. And so you had all these different languages being spoken in the Roman Empire, um, but, the, but business was done in Latin and education was done in Latin and church services were done in Latin um, and the Bible was in Latin and, and people couldn't understand it. And it was, we could get into a long, whole long discussion about why that was and maybe that was on purpose and, 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 and all of that, but, but it's true. Um, and then it, uh, in, in the 1500s, I don't know the exact day, but in the 1500s, the printing press was invented. And before that time, every copy of any uh, written work in the world, books or, or, or Bibles or any other kind of books, had to be hand copied, right? There was no such thing as a Xerox machine. You had to hand copy everything. And when they invented the printing press, it made, it made printing, it made making copies of things uh, much easier, much cheaper. Uh, books used to be super expensive. Now they're just kind of expensive. Um, but it made it, made it way cheaper so people could afford to have books in their houses. And, and there were believers in the churches who began translating the Bibles into, uh, into the language that the people could speak. And this was part of what happened because of the Reformation and, and, and different things in history happening at the same time that the printing press was being invented. Um, but we have people in the church who were killed um, by the church. The church killed people for translating the Bible into English, into German, into these other languages. Um, but it's important for us to have the Bible in our own language if we're going to, um, because, because it is our authority, it's, it's clear, it's necessary, and it's sufficient. Um, and, and so we're going to talk about a few different Bible translation philosophies tonight. Um, one of the goals, though, is to have the Bible be readable, to have the Bible be understandable to people. So I'm about to go to Mexico tomorrow. Uh, when we go to Mexico, we, we work with, uh, with a group of pastors that are, their race is Tarahamara. It's like an um, indigenous Mexican tribe, uh, sort of like, a, like, like Cherokee Indians here. Um, there'd be Tarahamara Indians in Mexico. Um, and they have their own language, and they have a Bible in their language. Um, but it really doesn't do them any good because it's, it's really not understandable. It's so old and so archaic, and, and uh, it, it's, it's written in their language, but it's not written the way that they talk, and they, it, to the point that they can't even really understand it. And so when they have their, their church services, they pray in their Tarahamara tar language, they sing songs in Tarahamara language, they preach sermons in Tarahamara language, they do everything in Tarahamara tar other than reading the Bible. And they read the Bible in Spanish because the Spanish translation is more understandable even than their own language, even though there are many Tarahamara people who don't speak Spanish at all. Um, and so they'll, they'll read the Spanish translation and then they'll translate it themselves from Spanish into into Tarahamara. So it's important that, that, that Bibles be readable. Um, and, and so we're going to talk about these different ways of translating the Bible into English. Okay. Um, a, a couple things to, to start out with though. First of all, really one thing to, to start out with, there, there's, a, there's a common misconception about Bible translations. Okay. And you may have heard this before. You may hear people that are not believers kind of use this as, a, as a, an indictment against uh, the Bible. They will say, well, the Bible was written so many years ago and it's been translated so many different times, 
And you know the phrase, things get lost in translation, right? It's been translated so many different times that from then until now, we can't even really trust the Bible because it's got all these corruptions in it and from one translation to another, to another, to another. Um, and, and each time things get, get messed up, get lost in translation, as they say. And, and so it's been so long and there's so much of a distance between us and the original authors of the Bible that we really can't have any confidence in the Bible itself. Okay? That's wrong. That's wrong. And, and the reason it's wrong is because it's not true that there have been so many different translations. Yes, there, there are lots of different English translations, okay? But that doesn't mean that the Bible was translated into one English version, and then that English version was translated into another English version, and then that one was translated into another one, into another one, into another one. It, it doesn't work like that. When uh, the layman's, when Marcus and Rachel and their family are working with Wycliffe Bible translators right now, they're working with the, I think it's pronounced the Chichapu tribe. Uh, they, they've been here and talked about it. They're not starting with some, you know, 2,000-year-old 7th, 8th, ninth generation English Bible and translating that into their language. They're going back to the actual original, to the, to the Greek New Testament, to the Hebrew Old Testament, and translating from there into their language. So for most English Bible translations that we have, um, it, it's not been translated over and over and over so many different times. It's one generation from Greek to English, from Hebrew to English, okay? And then another thing we have to be careful of um, is sometimes it can be a temptation for people that are translating the Bible into English to do so um, in, in a way that kind of um, supports their own doctrinal beliefs and ideas to start with, right? So here's an example. Um, we're, we're good Baptists, right? So we should, we should know, what does the word baptize mean? To immerse, right? We know that. We talked about that. Do you know what the word baptism means? What does it mean? Awesome. That's right. Awesome. Awesome. So, so the Greek word baptizo, though, means, means immerse, right? So whenever they were starting to translate Bibles from Greek and, and Hebrew or from Latin into English, when they came to that word baptizo in, in, in Greek, why did they not translate it immerse? Why did they translate it baptism? That's what it means, right? It means immerse, so why didn't they translate it immerse instead of translating it, making up this new, there, there was no such word baptism, that's not an English word, that's just an English pronunciation of the Greek word, right? So why did, they, uh, why did they translate it baptism instead of immersion? Any ideas? Because when they translated the Bible into English, most churches didn't do baptism by immersion. Most churches, the Catholic Church and, and most other churches, um, did baptism by sprinkling or by pouring water over, over someone's head. So when they were translating it from, uh, from Greek into English, when they came to that word baptizo, they said, uh-oh, if we translate this as immersion, that's going to be a big problem for our church because we don't do baptism by immersion, right? And so they, they didn't. They translated it as, as baptism instead. And so there is a, there is a danger whenever there are translations um, that, 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 that doctrinal ideas can kind of can creep in there, right? Um, one of the reasons, I believe, that they changed the name of the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible, they revised it and changed it to the Christian Standard Bible, is because when they had it named the Holman Christian Standard Bible, well, Holman is the, uh, the Baptist printing house, right? The old uh, Southern Baptist uh, Sunday School Board. That's the, the, uh, that's the um, 
and now Lifeway. That's the, the publishing firm of Southern Baptist. And so they named it the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and it kind of got a reputation for being the Baptist Bible, right? And so people from other types of churches didn't want to use the Holman Christian Standard because they weren't Baptist, right? Um, and, and, and so they, when, they, when they revised it, they kind of rebranded it as the Christian Standard Bible. They made some other changes too, but, but, they, but that was one of the reasons. And so there's a danger there. So most English translations that we have today are not translated by one person. Most English translations we have today are translated by committees of multiple people, um, hundreds of people sometimes, 50 people, 70 people, 150 people, um, lots of different people, and, they, and, and they're from different backgrounds, different theological backgrounds, um, and that's a way to try to, try to um, compensate for that, right, to, to make sure that that doesn't happen. So starting out, here, here's what I want us to know. First of all, m- most English Bibles that we have are trustworthy, Okay. Most English Bibles that we have are trustworthy. We're going to talk about different, different English Bibles. We're going to talk about different ways of translating, different reasons for translating different ways. But just starting out, most English Bibles are trustworthy translations. When you pick up the Bible and you open up to Ephesians 1, you can be confident that what it says in English is what Paul wrote in Greek. Okay, No matter what translation you're using, uh, most English, there are some exceptions, but most English Bible translations are, are trustworthy. Okay, two big exceptions that I want to say up front. There are two two major English translations that are completely out of bounds, and we would say they're not they're not even Bible. They're 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 so corrupted that they're not they're not Bible. And the first one is called the New World Translation. Okay, we were uh, when I used to work at Christian Academy uh, High School over in New Albany, I taught Bible for juniors, and I had a kid bring in a Bible one time that he had gotten from the school library uh, that he was using for that semester for classes. And, and it was the New World Translation, okay? That's, that's the translation that was published, uh, that was translated and published by the Watchtower Society, which is the Jehovah's Witness group, okay? And, and it is not a trustworthy Bible. It is not, it is not accurate. Um, they've made multiple changes um, to, to make the Bible say what they want it to say. So the New World Translation is not a, not a trustworthy translation. Not that it's not useful if you're studying the Jehovah's Witnesses or if you have Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your, to your house to talk to you or whatever, you might want to look at a copy of it or whatever, but just know that if you do, it's not the Bible. It's not accurate. It's not what the Bible says, okay? Lots of changes have been made. And then a second one is similar to that. It's the Joseph Smith translation. And this is the, this is the Joseph Smith was the man who started the Mormon church, okay? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. It's called the Joseph Smith Translation. Now, most Mormons today, today don't use the Joseph Smith Translation. Most Mormons today use the King James Bible. And then they also use the Book of Mormon. And they say that they believe the King James Bible is correct as long as it's translated correctly. Which means as long as it agrees with what we say, what we think. As long as it goes along with the Book of Mormon. And if there's some kind of conflict between the King James Version and the Book of Mormon, well, then the problem is with the King James Version, not with the Book of Mormon, is what they say. But there, but there is a Joseph Smith translation that he worked on, and it's basically he took the King James Version to start with and then just made changes to it. Okay? But So those two translations are, are, are out of bounds. Those are not Bible. They're not accurate. Um, so if you have those, don't, don't rely on those. Don't, don't put your trust in those. Um, a third one that I don't know anything about, I'd never heard about until just the other day. Apparently, there's also a Reader's Digest translation of the Bible. Uh, my granddad used to read Reader's Digest all the time, and he used to send them to me once I got old enough to read. I'd, I'd read the joke sections at his house, so I like Reader's Digest. Um, 
just last month, I got one in the mail. My mom had, had signed up for, I think he signed her up for a subscription, and then she signed me one up uh, for Christmas, and so I just started getting those this year. So I like Reader's Digest, but, especially the joke part, um, but there, there's a Reader's Digest translation of the Bible, apparently, and like most things with Reader's Digest, they take what it is and they digest it down to something smaller, right? And so what I was reading was, um, in the Old Testament, there's only about 55% of the Old Testament that's there. And the rest has been taken out. And then with the New Testament, I think there's um, about 25% that's, that's missing, maybe 30% that's missing, something like that. Okay? So the Reader's Digest translation, if you ever come across that one, um, it's, it's also not, not trustworthy, not accurate. Okay? All right. Well, look at um, your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And if you don't mind reading, I'm going to ask some of you to read what your Bible says. Here's what the Holman Christian Standard Bible says. Hebrews cha uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says... Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Okay? That's the Holman Christian Standard Version. Does anybody have the Christian Standard Version, the CSB? Matt, would you, you mind reading that? Just verse 1. Okay, so the Holman Christian standard says, let us lay aside every weight. The Christian standard says, let us lay aside every hindrance. Okay, did somebody that, that had the uh, NIV mind reading? You mind reading, Ms. Laverne? Okay, there's several differences there between that and the Holman Christian. Um, I'm not even sure that I could name them all. Uh, it doesn't say let us lay aside. I think it says let us, let us put away or something like that. Let us take off. Um, instead of weight, it says hindrance. Um, it says the sin that so easily entangles us. The Holman Christian standard says ensnares us. Um, so, so several differences. Uh, someone with the ESV? Read that verse in the ESV, please. Okay, that cleans so clearly. That's the difference, right? We hadn't heard that yet in any of the translations. Um, okay, and then was there somebody else, a different translation besides those? Yeah, King James. It's a little bit different, right? Here's the New King James Version. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The New American Standard Version, uh, I guess that looks like that one got cut off when I was printing this. The New Living Translation says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. That's different. Um, 
Those are all the ones. Those are all the ones that I have here. So, so we've read those in several different translations, and we've gotten several different um, different choices, right? Because every time you translate something, you're making a choice. Whenever you're taking one 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 uh, one idea, one sentence, one thought, one word from one language and putting it into another language, you're making some some choices. I wrote down the other day. Um, somebody look up Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. This was. Um, we were talking about this in, in the midweek Bible studies back a few weeks ago. Look at Acts chapter 4. Somebody read verse 11, please. Whenever you get there. Okay. He is the stone you builders rejected that has become the capstone. All right. Someone else read it in a different translation. Chapter 4, verse 11. Okay, so in, it was that, what version was that? English Standard Version says it's become the cornerstone. Jesus has become the cornerstone. What translation do you have, Mrs. Laverne? The NIV says that Jesus has become the capstone. Um, anybody else have a, have a different translation that says something other than those two? The Holman Christian says cornerstone. But those, those are kind of different, aren't they? Those are kind of different, aren't they? Cornerstone versus capstone. A cornerstone is at the bottom of the foundation in the corner, right? And you put that there first, and then that gets, make sure that, that the walls are straight and true based on that corner. A capstone is at the top of an of a, of a archway or something, right? And holds, holds it all together. Um, so that's, that's different. That's a little kind of questionable why, why those two differences like that, right? Um, and, and, and we're going to see other, other differences also. If you look at this, this chart that I passed out to you, the one that's, that's going up and down. Um, there are different translations. I need to stand for the microphone. Uh, there are different translations on there, several different translations on there. And if you look at the second column from the right, it's really small. You may have trouble reading it. But if you look at the second column from the right, um, whoever put this chart together has, uh, has 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, written out in all these different versions. And so you can kind of compare it there, right? The Amplified Bible says we, on the other hand, will not boast beyond our legitimate province and proper limit, but will keep within the limits of our commission, which God has allotted us as our measuring line and which reaches and includes even you. And But it has of our commission, which in brackets, right? Meaning that, that maybe they, they, they added that to the text to try to make it more understandable, right? Um, the, uh, Christ, the contemporary English version, we won't brag about something we don't have a right to brag about, We'll only brag about the work that God has set us to do. And you were part of that work. That's a little different. English Standard Version, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. God's Word Translation, how can we brag about things that no one can evaluate? Instead, we will only brag about what God has given us to do coming to the city of Corinth where you live. First time we've heard about Corinth in any of those translations. That is in brackets, though, where the translators added that to make it more understandable. Um, let's skip down to the message. The message says, we aren't making out outrageous claims here. We're sticking to the limits of what God has set for us, but there can be no question that those limits reach to and include you. Um, 
the New American Bible, right under the message, says, but we will not boast beyond measure, but will keep to the limits God has apportioned us, namely to reach even to you. Um, go down to the, to the uh, I don't know, four or five from the top, you got the N, or from the bottom, I mean, you got the NIV there, and then you got the NIRB. Let's read the two of those and see how they differ. The NIV says, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. The NIRV says, but I won't brag more than I should. Instead, I will brag only about what I have done in the area God has given me. It is an area that reaches all the way to you. And then go down to the very bottom, the TNIV. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. And, and we haven't read all of those. There, there's other examples there. But we see just from reading those that there, there are differences, right? Not every English Bible reads the same way. On Sunday morning, depending on who is reading the scripture reading, it, it may match what your Bible says. It may not match what your Bible says. And sometimes it can be a little bit um, um, distracting if it doesn't match what your Bible says, right? Sometimes, depending on who's reading on, on Sunday morning, um, what, they're, what they're reading from the, from the pulpit may not match what's written on the screen behind them. Right, um, because we don't always read from the from the same versions every week, and so there, there are differences, and we notice those, and those and those raise raise questions. So why are there differences? Where do these differences come from, and what what kind of categories can we put English translations into? Okay, well, the first answer to that question: look at this chart again, the one we were looking at before, the one that goes up and down. The second column from from the left, um, the one that's kind of yellowish, it has numbers in it, right? 11, 5.4, 7.4, 4.3, 7.5, 12, and all the way down, right? And what those numbers are is um, grade reading levels, right? And so, uh, so, so different translation, translation committees, different translators that are working on Bibles have different goals in, in mind, right? And some of them are, 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 so like the NIV, for example. The NIV is written for adults. It was translated for adults, and it was written at a 7.8 grade level, about an 8th grade reading level. The NIRV, which stands for New International Reader's Version, was written with mainly kids in mind. And so it was written at a 2.9, almost a, about a 3rd grade reading level, right? And the different audiences depend, uh, determine how, how, uh, how they're translated and what levels they're on, okay? But let's move on to different categories of, uh, of English translations uh, because we're running out of time. So, uh, so let's look at the two extremes, right? You've got, you've got the, the other side of that chart is kind of a continuum. So we can think about Bible translations on this, on this continuum, okay? And on the two extremes, the far left and the far right, uh, we have, we have quote-unquote translations that are not really translations at all, okay? On the far extremes, you have some that are not translations at all. And so I asked Andy beforehand if he would uh, get a couple pictures ready. So Andy, if you would put up the... Um, the uh, oh, you already got up there, good. If you would, put up the, um, the other two, the Hebrew first and then the Greek. Okay, so, so on the far left of the chart there, it says interlinear, right? Most of you probably don't know what an interlinear Bible is. Most of us have probably never used an interlinear Bible, but this is what it is. And it's called interlinear because um, inter means within or between. Um, it means between, not within, within. Um, and so... Within the Hebrew or between the Hebrew lines, there are English lines, right? So you have Hebrew goes from right to left. So 
so you have the Hebrew there, chapter, this is Genesis chapter one, verse one. And so you have the Hebrew at the top and then you have the English at the bottom. And so, so if we're going to read that literally the way that it's written in Hebrew, it would say the beginning of he created in God, the heaven and the earth. Okay. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in English, does it? Uh, the, the verse two there, the earth and it was unformed, a wasteland, empty and darkness and the surface of over the deep, uh, the spirit and the spirit of God hovering the surface of over waters, the, okay. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense in English, does it? But it's helpful if you're trying to, if you know the, the original languages and you're trying to, trying to study that, uh, go to the next one, if you would, Andy, the, the Greek one. So this is the same thing. This is John chapter one, um, and, you, and, and you've got the, the Greek on top, and then you've got the English underneath it, and, um, and, and this is the same way, right? So, so John one verse 27 says, thee after me, one who comes, of whom not I am worthy, that I might untie his the strap of sandal. Okay, again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in English, right? But you see, in, what they've done here is they put the numbers. So if you read them in order, if you read the English words in order of the numbers, then it makes sense in English, right? So the first word is the, number two is one who comes, number three is after, four me, five of whom, six I am, seven not, eight worthy, nine that, 10 I might untie, uh, 11 the, 12 strap, 13 of, 14 his, 15 sandal. So then it makes sense in English because it's not in the same order necessarily. But these are interlinear Bibles and they're not really translations. They are helpful, but they're not really translations. It's just a, a, Literally a word-for-word -word translation. It's not at all concerned with being understandable in English, readable in English at all. It's concerned with just literally a word-for-word -word what's going on there, okay? On the other hand, the far right of your chart, this is your right, the far right of your chart, um, it, it's not written on there, but you have um, paraphrases, okay? And so like the message, the living Bible, those are paraphrases, and those are not really translations either. Uh, the message is not really a translation. The, the living Bible is not really a translation. Those are paraphrases. And so the way you get a paraphrase is somebody reads the Bible, usually in an English translation already, and then they say, okay, here's what this verse says or here's what this paragraph says. Now let me write it out in my own words that makes it easier to understand. So it's not really a translation. It's a summary or a, or a, or a paraphrase, okay? And so, so we have those on the far left and the far right and... Um, and, and, and those can be helpful for different things, but they're, but they're, they're not really helpful for, for reading for most people, okay? And paraphrases can be kind of dangerous because, um, because we, can, we can read them, and a lot of times they are easy to understand, and a lot of times they are, um, uh, I don't know if fun's the right word, but they are um, fun to read, easy to read, and, 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 and they do kind of help us understand things. And so it's okay to use them as long as we know what they are, and, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But, it, but in the middle, we have uh, kind of two different types of, of translations, or maybe three different types of translations. First of all, we have a word-for-word -word translation, or uh, sometimes you might hear it, the, a formal e equivalency. And so what, what the translators on, on this type of translation want to do is they want to translate the Greek words or the Hebrew words into English words, okay? They want to be as close as possible to what it says in, in Hebrew or in Greek, and, and that's good. Right? That, that, that's a good thing to want to do, to be as close as possible, to be as faithful as possible to the original um, languages. And so they, they translate um, each English word, each Hebrew word into 
uh, an English word, but they do it not like an interlinear, but they do it in, in order that makes sense in English, right? So it really is a translation, it really is, is uh, putting it into English where it can be understood. But they try to be as close to the original as possible. And so examples of that are, are translations like the New American Standard Bible. Um, they, this, this chart has the Amplified Bible on there. I would be really careful with the Amplified Bible. We can talk about that in a minute, but I'd be kind of careful with that. But you got the New American Standard, the English Standard, Revised Standard, the New King, the King James, New King James, Holman Christian, um, the New Revised Standard, and and so those would be more on the on the word for word, right? And it's not like here are the Bible translations that are word for word, and here are the Bible translations that are thought for thought. We'll talk about that in a minute. It, there's a continuum, right? And so these are more on this side; these are more on on this side. These Bibles are really helpful for for studying the Bible, for preaching the Bible, for teaching the Bible, for uh, for going to Bible study, right? Because you want to know exactly what was there. Um, one of the frustrating things, I like the NIV translation, but one of the frustrating things about the New International Version is in order to make it more readable, they, sometimes they take out some of the connecting words, right? They don't always translate therefore. They don't always translate for. In, in, in Greek especially, those words come up all the time. And so you, you, know, you might have the word therefore every two or three sentences or so that or in order that. And, and those are really helpful to understand how the argument that Paul's making or Peter's making or whoever's writing the book, the argue, how, how the different parts of, uh, of those passages fit together, right? Well, the New International Version, to, to make it more readable, sometimes they, they leave some of those out. And so, um, and, and the NIV is, is a good translation, but sometimes these, the, the more word for word, uh, sometimes the better for, um, for studying, for, for deep, deep study especially, okay? On the right, Leading up to the paraphrases, you have um, a thought-for-thought thought translation, or sometimes these are called dynamic equivalent or uh, functional equivalent translations. Okay, and so the examples they have there, the message and the living Bible, we would say are both paraphrases. Um, so in the far extreme of kind of thought-for-thought thought translations is the, the uh, contemporary English version coming back toward the middle, the, the good news translation. That was the first Bible I ever had was a good news translation. Uh, the church I grew up in gave me that when I was, I think, 11, 10 or 11. Um, then you got the NRIV, the New Living Translation, the, um, the New Century Version. And that ICB, I think, is for the International Century Bible. Probably it's like an international version where maybe it's the same translation, but they did like the English spelling, British spelling, instead of American spelling, something like that. Um, and, and then the TNIV, NIV, and, and then going on to the middle. Okay, so, so here, here's what thought for thought means. This means that, that the people that are translating say, we want to be accurate, we want to be faithful to what the Bible says, we want to tra actually translate the Bible into English and, and, and get what's there into English. But, but one of their priorities is to make it readable, to make it very readable, to make it understandable to, to people who, who maybe don't have such a high reading level, to children, to people that, that, that haven't, uh, haven't been to college or even maybe haven't graduated high school. Things like that. People that don't read a whole lot outside of the Bible, and so they're so they don't have a um, they're not able to read fast and, and that kind of thing just because they don't read much. That they do other things, and so we want to make sure it's understandable and readable and easy to read. Because again, remember the goal is we want people to read the Bible, right? And so if we can make it easy for people to read, it's more likely that they'll read it. And and so these translations are more that way, and they're called thought for thought translations because what what they do is. They say, well, we're not going to translate necessarily every word into an English word. We're going to take the thought that the author has and try to get that across in English in, in, the, in the most most understandable way possible, right? 
And, there, and there's some, some warrant to that, right? Think of the word R-E-C-O-R-D. R-E-C-O, I'm not pronouncing it for a reason. R-E-C-O-R-D, okay? What does that word mean? R-E-C-O-R-D, what does that word mean? We don't know, right? It could mean a lot of different things. It could mean a record like you play on a record player. It could mean a record like you have in a filing cabinet at a, at a government office building or something, right? It could mean uh, to record something on a, on a DVR or a VCR or something. Um, and and so, so a lot of times words don't have meanings in themselves. Words have meanings when they're put together with other words, right? In, in sentences. Um, and and, and so, so meaning doesn't always re- reside just in the word, but when you put phrases together and sentences together, that's when you get meaning, right? Just like with that, if that word's there, you don't really know what it, even how to pronounce it. That's why I didn't pronounce it. I don't know if I should say re- record or record, right? Until you have it in a sentence where it's being used, then, then you know what it means, right? And so people that are translating uh, Bibles like tra- Thought for Thought translations more are saying, we're not going to necessarily try to, try to, um, try to uh, translate every word into an English word. We're going to look at the whole sentence or the whole phrase or the whole paragraph and, and then put that into English to make it where it's more readable, right? And, and there's warrant to both sides. There, there's good things to both sides, and, there, and there's negative things to both sides. If you have a more word-for-word translation, um, especially if there's an, you can't always do this, but especially if there's an attempt to where every time I see this Hebrew word, I'm going to translate it with this English word. Or every time I see this Greek word, I'm going to translate it with this English word. You can't always do that, right, because words have a range of meanings, and they don't always mean exactly the same thing, Right? Um, but if, but if, if I'm going to try to do the best of my ability, every time I see this Hebrew word, I'm going to translate it with this specific English word. And every time I see this specific Greek word, I'm going to translate it with this specific English word. Well, that can be really helpful if you're reading a Bible like that and you're doing like really in-depth Bible study because it can help you see connections between passages, right? Where if, if sometimes you have this Hebrew word and sometimes you translate it with this word, sometimes you translate it with this other one, sometimes you use this other English word, um, sometimes it makes it more difficult to see those connections, Right? Like the English word love, right? Well, if I'm going to take the English word love, someone, so if, if one of you made a statement that had the word love in it, and I'm going to try to, uh, try to tell someone what you say kind of in my own words. Well, I could, I could say, I could, and we'll pretend like it's a different language. If I'm going to try to put love into a different language, I could say admire, or I could say value, or I could say, um, I don't know, what are some other things I could say? I could say, I could say like, I could say enjoy, right? We use the word love in so many different ways that if we're trying to translate that word love into another language, we don't all, we're not going to always be able to use the exact same word, right? Because it, love has a big range of meanings. And so, um, but the more word-for-word translations, the more often they can use kind of a one-to-one um, translation philosophy where one word means one English word, one Hebrew word to one English word, one Greek word to one English word, that can be really helpful. Because now we can do like word searches, especially online now, we can use different uh, Bible apps or websites and we can do, we can search for every time in the Bible we see the word um, whatever, leg, right? And maybe we're, we're doing a study on legs in the, in the Bible for some reason. And so we can, we can look up the word leg, right? Or, 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 or maybe a better example, say we're going to look up the word lamb. And so we're going to do a word search on lamb. And we're going to try to find every time in the Old Testament the word lamb is used or every time in the New Testament the word lamb is used, right? Well, it can be really helpful if we're, if we're using like the New American Standard or the English Standard or one of these more word-for-word translations where they're, they're trying to translate each word into an English word, right? Because then you're going to get all the, all the, um, all the passages where, 
the word where the Hebrew word for lamb was there and the Greek word for lamb was there, right? But if you're using one of the more thought-for-thought translations and you search for the word lamb, well, you might get some of them, but maybe there's some translations where instead of putting lamb, they put um, pet, right? Or maybe they put um, livestock, or maybe they put, for whatever reason, right? You can, you can use different words to mean lamb. Um, and, and, and so if you're using one of those translations to do like a deep Bible study, you're not necessarily going to get all those. You're going to miss some of them, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so, so that's, a, that's a positive for word-for-word word translations. A negative for word-for-word word translations is sometimes people can feel like they're really hard to read and hard to understand. The New American Standard Bible can, people say the New American Standard Bible, they find it to be kind of wooden or kind of choppy and kind of, kind of hard to understand sometimes. On the other hand, with thought-for-thought thought translations, the positive is that it's going to be very readable. You can sit down and just read through, the, through a, a whole chapter or, or even like a whole book, a shorter book, um, and it's really readable. It's easy to do. Um, it may be more devotional, right? Um, but the trade-off is, again, like we've already said, it's not going to be a kind of one-to-one. And so you, you may miss some of those things. You may miss some of those connecting words that put things together. You may miss some of those connections between different passages of the Bible where different words are, are being used. That doesn't mean that a thought-for-thought translation is a bad translation, right? That doesn't mean that a word-for-word translation is a bad translation. It means that they're, they're translated for different purposes, Right? And so that's, that, that's one, of the, one of the, well, let me say this before I say that. There's also a third category that you might hear sometimes, you probably won't hear, but you might hear sometimes, called optimal equivalency. So we got the word-for-word word or formal equivalency, the thought-for-thought thought or dynamic equivalency, and then optimal equivalency, the, the optimum situation, right? The, the best of both worlds, so to speak. And supposedly these optimal equivalent translations are in the middle. They, they kind of balance out word for word and thought for thought and kind of in the middle and get the, the, most of both, the, the best of both worlds, right? That's basically just a marketing scheme to try to get you to buy their Bibles, right? Because, because they're, they're trying to describe their Bible in, in a way that, that would get you to, to buy it. But there is something to say for, for translations in the middle that are, that are kind of trying to, do, trying to do both and try to be a, be a balance in, in that way over both of them. Um, so, a, a couple warnings. Let, let me say this about the King James Version first, and then a couple warnings. So, the King James Version is a good version, right? It is. It's a good version. And there's, there's some passages that are really, really good in the King James Bible, right? If I'm at a funeral and somebody reads tw- the 23rd Psalm from the King James Bible, that's, that, that's a great translation of the 23rd Psalm. And partly because so many people have it memorized in that translation that we know what it means, right? It's familiar enough to us that we can understand it. But when Josh Green read whatever that passage was a while ago from Hebrews, Hebrews 12 from the King James Version, that was really hard to understand, wasn't it? For me it was, maybe not for you, but for me it was really hard to understand. And so we're going to talk about the King James Version uh, tomorrow, or next week, then that'll be the, all we talk about. The whole, week, the whole time will be about the King James Version. But let, but let me say this about the King James Version. It's, it's a really good version. I like it. I don't use it, but I like it. It's a really good version. The trade-off of it is... It was, it was tr- the purpose of translating the King James Version, the translators that translated the Bible in, into the King James, their purpose was to make the Bible understandable to people who lived in the 1600s, 1700s, right? We don't live in the 1600s. We don't live in the 1700s. There are words that exist in English right now today that didn't exist in English last year even, right? And so, so languages change over time. And so, it's, um, so the King James is a good version but it's difficult for us to understand sometimes, and so maybe not the best translation for us. Two warnings. 
and, uh, and, and we'll be finished. The, the first warning is um, using translations for what they're meant to be, okay? When I was a teacher, uh, you know, kids would have to write research papers and things like that, and they would also, they would always say, we're not supposed to use Wikipedia. If you don't know, Wikipedia is a website, like, kind of like an encyclopedia website, right? But anybody can just go in and make changes. And so we're not supposed to use Wikipedia. That's not a good source. We shouldn't use, we, can, we should never use Wikipedia. And I would always tell them, that's right, you shouldn't use Wikipedia. You shouldn't cite Wikipedia in a, in a, in a paper or something like that. But Wikipedia is good if you use it for what it's meant to be used for, right? If you're, if you're trying to write a paper on a beginning subject, you know nothing about that subject, maybe it's a good thing to look it up in Wikipedia and, and read what the Wikipedia article says and then look at what sources are in, the, in that article and go read those sources, right? And so if you're quoting that as a, as a, as, as a standard, then, then yeah, it's not good. But it can be good if you use it for what it was meant to be used for. And, and, and English Bible translations are that way also. If we take a, a, a paraphrase or a thought-for-thought thought translation that's kind of far on, on that side of the scale, and we try to use it for serious Bible study, try to use it for, um, for, for in-depth study like that, well, that's not going to be so good. That's, that that translation is not going to be so good for that, right? But if we have a kid that's, you know, five or six-year-old and just got baptized and they're wanting to start reading the Bible, well, we should probably give them a translation that's easy for a kid to read, Right? Um, and, and, and so it will be, in that sense, one of the more, kind of on, on the far left, one of the more word-for-word translations might be a, a difficult translation for them, okay? And, and then the last thing I'll say is, one, one other warning is, there are some translations today that have, that have and I'm not even sure what, what all of them are. I wouldn't be able to list them all off right here off the top of my head. But there's some translations today called gender-neutral translations, okay? And that can mean a couple different things. One thing it can mean is we're going we're gonna to make the, the pronouns in the Bible gender neutral. So instead of a bunch of he's, we're going to put she or he and she or they, right? You may remember, you probably don't remember because you, you wouldn't have known. But this morning when we, at the end of our service, the close of our service, I read that passage from Hebrews 3, right? And it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any, any of you an unbelieving, evil, unbelieving heart. And it goes on like that, right? When I read that passage this morning, I said, Take care, brothers and sisters, right? Now, the Bible didn't say that. I added that to, to the word of God, I guess. But that's what that word means. The word behind brothers means brothers and sisters. It's not a, it's not a male word, right? And so, it's, so, so the, the, if, you, if you make that kind of gender neutral, that's a, that's a good thing because it makes it more accurate, right? But there are other passages where specifically it is talking about a man or a woman, and we shouldn't try to make those passages gender neutral, Okay? And then the other side of that, there's some kind of more extreme translations that go through and take some of the pronouns that refer to God, and instead of changing, instead of making them he, change them to be more gender neutral, right? And so we should, we should beware of those kind of translations. We should beware of translations who, who have that goal for God for sure, and we should be careful with those translations who have that goal with, um, when, when the Bible's referencing people as well, because it can be done well or it can be done... In, in a way that kind of kind of makes it harder to understand, right? And so we should just be kind of careful with those two types of translations. But we, we're lucky, we're, we're not lucky, because I don't believe in luck. God's providentially blessed us to the point where we have lots and lots and lots of different English translations of the Bible. There's no excuse for us not to be reading it, for us not to know it. There's lots of different translations, and there's lots of different really good translations. There are some bad translations, but there's lots of really, really good translations. And we should, we should feel free to use them 
um, especially for the purpose that they were meant to be used for. We're, we're way past time, I know, sorry. Um, just for a minute, any, any questions or, or thoughts? We're gonna have some time for questions here in a couple of weeks, so if you have long, complicated questions, maybe write them down. But anything, any real quick questions or comments? All right, thank you all so much. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father God, we thank you so much for a good Sunday night. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us. And God, we thank you that you have gifted people um, throughout history to be able to take your word in English and Hebrew and translate it into a language that we can understand and we can read. And God, I pray that, that we would take advantage of that. Let us not uh, neglect that as, even as we use that word this morning. Father, let us not... Um, let us not... Uh, kind of take advantage of that to the point that we don't use it. But if, if you've given people to translate it into our word, into our language, Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in, in reading it, studying it, knowing it, using it in, in our lives. And then, God, I pray you'd help us to be more um, committed and faithful to uh, getting the word into other, into other languages as well, even as Marcus and Rachel and their family are doing and, um, and other missionaries across the world, Father. Might that be something that comes to mind often and as we're praying? And might that be something where we come in contact with missionaries that are doing that work and we can support them uh, financially and in other ways. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, our Savior, that is revealed in your word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.